You are listening to Disc 6 on the Elementary Principles of the Messiah and Daniel's teaching on Baptism, Part 2. Enjoy. Well, we're actually in our second week looking at the elementary principle of baptism. We're going to get right into it. Last week, we discovered through various scriptures the significance that baptism holds for us believers. The significance that it holds for us believers. And we learned through the, apostles, uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans uh, what the definition of baptism was. And I want to go back and look at that. We're going to do a little review here. Uh, Romans 6.3, and it says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? Okay? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him. Okay, so in this passage, Paul gives us the literal definition of what baptism is. What baptism is for us believers. The individual seeking to be immersed is to have a clear understanding of what they are about to do and the responsibilities that come along with being baptized. The significance of baptism or immersion goes much deeper than the physical act of just immersing yourself into water. But rather, it's something that carries a lifelong responsibility with it. Now, last week I covered uh, covered another definition, if you remembered, for immersion. And it was Judaism's definition of a mikvah. And if you remember, we found it to be remarkably accurate to the biblical definition of baptism today. And again, we're going to look at this as well. A mikvah, a ritual pool of water used for the purpose of attaining ritual purity. Immersion in a mikvah is performed for the following main purposes. It is used in connection with repentance to remove the impurity of sin. It is used in conjunction with conversion because the convert has taken upon himself or herself to adopt the lifestyle of the Jew that is based on, listen to this, based on recognition of God as king of the universe and on the obligation to perform the commandments of Torah. Okay, so every time I read this, I'm amazed at the accuracy it has in defining exactly what biblical baptism is for us believers. It's all about converting, okay? Repenting of sins, converting from this life, the old life, into a new life, right? The life of a Jew. And when I say the life of a Jew, I mean the believing Jew who has confessed Jesus as the Messiah. This is the essence of what baptism is for us today. Now, I want to share a passage that I pulled off a Judaic website. And it's a passage dealing with the requirements for conversion to Judaism. And the reason we're looking at this is because there is a fascinating teaching found within which we as believers can glean from and we can take from in regard to biblical baptism. 
I want to look at this. This is a passage. It's actually recorded in question and answer format. And the question is, is uh, what is the procedure should a convert follow? What procedure should a convert follow? What's the process, right? The answer, we should begin by reviewing the traditional requirements for conversion. They are clear. A court of three is necessary. Prospective converts must be warned that they are joining a persecuted community and that many new obligations will be incumbent upon them. They were to then bring a sacrifice in the days the temple stood. Well, you guys got to see the symmetry here. Who, what are we being baptized into? The lamb was sacrificed. There had to be a sacrifice for us to go into the baptism that's required today requires a sacrifice. Look at this. Take a ritual bath, which is our baptism, and in the case of males, be circumcised. Colossians 2.11 says what? You were buried with him in baptism, and in him you are circumcised. He circumcised us this way. This is an amazing teaching for us. This is what we as believers in Yeshua must be diligent to convey to all those who are willing to live a life to Yeshua, being his disciple. We have got to disclose, okay, we must disclose that they are going to be joining a persecuted community. We should be persecuted, right? New obligations will be expected. A person that is willing to go through a mikvah to be baptized into Yeshua's death needs to understand that you are joining a new group, the world's greatest hated list. You're, you're going to be on that list, the most hated list. 2 Timothy 4.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly and Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. So understand this. If you are willing to be baptized in the death of the Messiah, you have signed up to be on this hated list. The world will hate you. You will have new obligations to keep as believers in him. John 15, 18, Yeshua teaches us this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay, so it needs to be made clear, all those seeking immersion, that they're going to suffer persecution at some time. They're joining a persecuted community. You are agreeing to put off the old man and to put on the new accepting obligations given to the Jew. Okay? And you will be persecuted because of this. The lawless hate the children of the law, the children of the light, because we expose their deeds. Amen? Baptism is a great understanding. It is, it's a, a great undertaking. It's, it's an awesome thing. It's life-changing, okay? And it is required. Titus 3, 4 says, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now listen, how did he save us? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. The Greek word for regeneration there is polygenesia. It literally means rebirth. Okay? It's rebirth. The verse clearly states that we are saved through this particular washing. For it is a baptism into Yeshua's death and resurrection. 
It's a baptism of rebirth. And Yeshua himself taught this. John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Yeshua by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Yeshua answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is amazing, right? Note the frightening ultimatum in this passage. Unless one is born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We are to die to ourself through baptism. Rise out of the water, reborn anew in the newness of life. And this passage refers to the very rebirth that we are supposed to experience. Let's continue. Nicodemus said to him, hey, this is a great question. Well, how can a man be born when he is old? So obviously Nicodemus understood part of what Yeshua was trying to tell him because he comes back with a great question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be reborn? Yeshua answered and said, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so Yeshua tells Nicodemus that you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. Okay, so plainly speaking, Yeshua is referring to baptism, the receiving of the Spirit of God, which is the very proof that you are a child of the new covenant. And it is what Paul refers to four times, twice in Ephesians, twice in 1 Corinthians, as the seal. That's the seal, the proof that you are God's. I also want you to take note of the connection made here between baptism and the Holy Spirit. The Bible links these two numerous times in the New Testament for us. And one of the passages we looked at last week did just that. So let's look at it again. Then Peter said to him, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the remission of sins. And what? Then you receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You should receive this gift. So here we have, you know, several examples of the Bible taking baptism and the Holy Spirit and linking them together. Sadly, baptism, the, the significant principle that it is, has lost its luster. It's necessity. It has not been emphasized nearly enough. Okay? Despite Scripture spending so much time talking about it, educating us, equipping us into the knowledge of what it is. So I want to look at some passages that demonstrate those who decide to convert, be disciples of Yeshua, wasting no time in being immersed. Because those who preached, who evangelized them, they did it with the intense reality of baptism. It was an intense message. Let's look at this first one. Acts 16, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. What an awesome event. I mean, this is unbelievable. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out to him with a loud voice saying, do, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This guy was trembling. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question, right? 
And listen to their awesome reply. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and all your household. But it doesn't stop here. The text continues. Listen to what happens now. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. What are they delivering? The elementary principles of the Messiah. And to all who were in the house, right? And he took them that same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. This is a remarkable example of Paul and Silas transmitting the elementary principles of the Messiah with intensity and fruit because these men came into the kingdom that day in his entire family. And notice, again, being baptized is an integral part of the message because the jailer was baptized, right? Now, the next passage I want to look at, um, we're going to look at, uh, it takes place in the city of Corinth, and Paul, as his custom was, he goes to the synagogue, as he does, and he's preaching Jesus of Nazareth to the Jews. The Jews didn't take so kindly at this particular synagogue to this message, so they actually opposed him and blasphemed. And so Paul leaves, but this is what's recorded. Listen to what happened when Paul leaves. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. He didn't have to go that far. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. You notice that we see the mere reflection with the word believed and the word baptized? If you do believe in the Messiah, you were baptized. It wasn't even a question. This is what you did. You're not to take a lethargic approach, neither if you're conveying the message of truth, nor if you're receiving it. You should not take a lethargic approach to being immersed, lest we forget this is exactly what Yeshua taught. Mark 16, 16, it says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And even Paul the, himself, his own testimony, reflects this truth. I want to look at Paul's own testimony. Acts twenty two twelve. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, Paul, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Listen to this. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias understood and created an urgency for Paul to be baptized. Someone, lest we forget, who saw the Lord. Someone who physically heard from Yeshua himself. Okay? Ananias was just following that which Yeshua imposed upon him and all those who call on his name. Because all those who are converting must wash away their sins in the death and in the resurrection of the Messiah, Yeshua. Amen? The Apostle Peter gives us some deep insight into baptism. We're going to look at this. For Messiah suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death 
in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Right? Let's continue. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through, what? The resurrection of the Messiah. You see how Peter signifies the deeper meaning of baptism? It's Yeshua's death and resurrection. Peter indicates that this baptism is more than just removing the filth of the flesh, but rather it gives us a good conscience to approach him. Amen? The profession... um, Uh, This is the baptism that now saves us, and make no mistake, this baptism that we profess in Yeshua dying and resurrecting from the grave is required. I I want you to get that. Hebrews 10, uh, 10, 19, I'm sorry. Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. And what is he referring to? He's referring to sprinkled with blood. The death. Moses in the covenant, right? They come out of the sea, they enter into covenant with God. What did he do? It's recorded that Moses sprinkled blood on them. You've got you to make these connections. And so the hearts, they're sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the more one studies baptism, the more that you come to the realization that this is something you need to do if you haven't done it. And it's something that you need to be able to teach others, amen, with the same urgency. There's not one scripture, I'll give you $10,000, I dare you to find it, one scripture presenting baptism as an option doesn't exist. Or even just, you know, taking a lethargic reproach. I don't, I don't see anyone taking a lethargic approach to this baptism. Yeshua says in Mark 16, 16, again, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In other words, if you believe, I will be baptized. And if I'm baptized, I will be saved. Okay? Matthew three fourteen. Something that's very simple for us to grasp as a believer, as a new believer, as an experienced believer, is that Yeshua is our perfect example. I think we could all agree on that, right? Let's look at Yeshua's example. And John tried to prevent Yeshua. Um, John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Yeshua answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Yeshua came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came up from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yeshua has set the standard for us. He has left us the perfect example of how we should follow him. And in this passage, I also want you to note that we find the, another example of the relationship between being baptized and the anointing of the Spirit of God. What 
the New Testament refers to as the seal, the fulfillment of the new covenant. However, having said that, there is one example, lest any of you be Weisenheimers and come up to me after. I'll address it now. There is one example of scripture where the process of being baptized and anointed is completely reversed. It's completely reversed. And it's unusual. It's an extremely unusual event. And I want to look at this event because we're going to, out of this, we're going to grasp something amazing. Acts 10.42, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. What an awesome story. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they're hearing them speak in their own language, magnifying God. Can anyone listen to what is said? Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. I'd asked him to stay too. Um, but when you look at this, what, what, outside of Yeshua's direct commandment to be baptized, this passage creates the strongest argument for the necessity of baptism than any other verse in the Bible. And that is a fact. Think about this for a second. You have men who just had the spirit of the living God fall on them, right? You take a most postmodernistic theology, you might say, well, I appreciate you offering baptism, but look at me. I just had the spirit of God laid upon me. It's not salvational. It's not necessary. I've been anointed. I mean, it's almost like I could see myself having this conversation with someone right now, right? But what's Peter do? He does the exact opposite. He says, can anyone forbid water? Because Peter was taught by his Lord that baptism is required. And he commands these men who have entered the new covenant to be baptized. That's, this is amazing. I want to reiterate that baptism or immersing yourself in water in and of itself isn't washing away your sins. It's the knowledge of what you're doing that's washing away your sins. The confession that Yeshua died and rose again. It is this baptism by which our sins are washed away. Amen? Last thing I'm going to address today is something that I debated about doing, but I'm going to do it because I'm on the topic of baptism. I want to briefly talk about infant baptism. Because some of us, you know, can we come from all various doctrines, right? And that's okay. In there are people that out there that practice infant baptism. But we need to ask ourselves, is this something that's commanded in Scripture? Right? Well, I, you know, I'll just give you the condensed version here. You can read from Genesis to Revelation, and you're not going to find one Scripture that supports infant baptism. Nor will you even find one example of an infant being baptized. So where does this idea of infant baptism come from? Why is it here? Well, the short answer is the universal church in its early stages, the Catholic church, practiced and still does today infant baptism. But it didn't originate there. It's actually the universal church adopted the custom from Babylon. Okay? Historian Sir Robert Anderson 
estimated that throughout the Middle Ages, over 40 million people were murdered over this doctrine. Infant baptism. 40 million. Think about that for a second. That's unreal. Over this doctrine. So if you think we're talking about a light subject, we are not. Many of these who died were Anabaptists. And it was, you know, they refuted the theology of infant baptism. And unfortunately, the Anabaptist term was given to them. They did not call themselves Anabaptists. It was given to them as a slander because they were called, it means, rebaptizers. Because they believed that someone had to have the conscience, knowledge, and faith in the Lord to be baptized. So I caution you, when it comes to spiritual things pertaining to the worship of God, religious sacred practices, we need to be cognizant from where they derived. Okay? Whether they are commandments of men or whether they are commandments of God. Now I want to bring a few items to your attention so that you're aware of why some do baptize their infants. Maybe others don't. I want to take you to the catechism of the Catholic Church real quick. And this is under the headline, uh, Baptism of Infants. And it's number 1250. Listen to this. Born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have a need of the new birth in baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of freedom of the children of God, to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. I want you to note that the Catholic Church is imposing upon the parents the practice of this ordinance, and failure to do so would deny the infant the kingdom of heaven. You're condemned to hell. This is why it's so important that we are grounded in the word We need to be able to differentiate traditions of man versus the commandments of God, lest we fall into these traps of the evil one. Now, if we keep on reading in this catechism, just uh, three down, we're going to discover something amazing. I just want to show you this quickly. Baptism is the sacrament of faith. This is speaking of infant baptism. But faith needs the community of believers. It is only within the faith of the church that each of the faithful can believe. The faith required for baptism is not a perfect and mature faith, but a beginning that is called to develop. The catechumen or the the godparent is asked, what do you ask of God's church? The response is faith. Now, I showed you these passages in the catechism so that you understand why infant baptism is practiced. Okay? But understand that the origins of baptism began in Babylon and were adopted by the church. It is clearly understood through this last sacrament that we just read that the baptizee here is baptized in the faith of the church. This is different than being baptized in the faith of Yeshua the Messiah. Okay? Amen? The Bible clearly tells us that we are to be baptized into the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Unfortunately, Martin Luther continued the torch as he left the universal church on infant baptism. Behind him, John Calvin continued to carry this this, this torch 
He vigorously refuted all who would come against him for preaching infant baptism. Alexander Hislop, in his book, The Two Babylons, lays out a historical data, and we're going to close with these passages. How faithfully Rome has copied the pagan exorcism in connection with baptism. And this is infant baptism he's referring to. All the other peculiarities attending to the Romish baptism, such as the use of salt, spittle, chrism, or anointing oil, and marking the forehead with the sign of the cross, are equally pagan. Thus, Judacus uh, Tilatanus of Louvain, defending the doctrine of unwritten tradition, does not hesitate to say, we are not satisfied with that which the apostles of the Gospels do declare. But we say that as well before as after, there are divers matters of importance and weight accepted and received out of the doctrine which is nowhere set forth in writing. Okay? Do you understand what you're saying here? We, the apostles, we understand, uh, but we're not satisfied for what they said in Scripture. What is written. Okay? For we do bless the water wherewith we baptize and the oil with where we anoint. Let's continue. Yea, I pray you, whence cometh it that we do dip the child three times in water? Doth it not come out of this hidden and undisclosed doctrine which our forefathers have received closely without any curiosity and do observe still? Meaning they're not calling into question the very act that they're practicing. The priest. Last passage. And indeed, Father Newman himself admits, in regard to holy water, that which is impregnated with salt and consecrated and many other things, that were, as he says, the very instruments and appendages of demon worship, that they were all of pagan origin and sanctified by adoption in the church. My point is this. You will not find one scripture to support infant baptism in the Old or in the New Testament. Let us remember what baptism is. It is full immersion. Being completely immersed into water. Nobody in their right mind would do this to an infant. It is the willful act of repentance. Understanding the significance of rebirth. Okay? Dying to your old self to live a new life and accept the obligation of the Torah. It requires a comprehensive understanding that Yeshua died for our sins and was raised from the grave. An infant can fulfill none of these. So I thank the Lord for his word and let us be diligent to continue his word and I hope you understand the necessity that baptism has for a believer in his life. Shabbat Shalom.